Hi, you're listening to the Fearless Futures podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Naima McCloskey, the CEO and founder of Fearless Futures. And this is the show where we unpack and interrogate mainstream methods for equity and inclusion. I'll be sharing new perspectives as well as alternative approaches we have developed and deployed working in daring companies across sectors around the world. Each week, we will explore a new angle you won't want to miss. So stick around. Unconscious bias training is all the rage. This episode, we'll be discussing the problem with using unconscious bias and challenging unconscious bias as the framework within which we do inclusion and equity work in our companies. And fortunately, we'll also be sharing what else we can do instead. We at Fearless Futures are regularly contacted by lots of different people being asked for unconscious bias training. And we often have to share with them why we don't adhere to that conceptualization of challenging inequity within workplace contexts or in society more broadly. And it often comes as a bit of a surprise to people to hear that because of the hold that unconscious bias as a kind of framing for what is in fact going on in our world, it has such a kind of pervasiveness that people are often quite just surprised to to think that an organisation that does inclusion training doesn't subscribe to this kind of conceptualization of what is in fact going on. Another term for unconscious bias training that people might have heard is implicit bias as well. And um, I decided to do a little bit of kind of research as to when um, implicit bias testing actually, because that seemed to come first, understandably, when it first came about in order to kind of see what is the kind of journey that we've been on with the whole implicit bias and unconscious bias training universe. And I found an article on The Guardian entitled Unconscious Bias, What Is It and Can It Be Eliminated? And it gave a short summary precisely of the kind of history of how of how we got here. And so I'm just going to read a little bit from that article. Spearheaded by a team of social psychologists at the University of Washington and Yale, the implicit association test promised to lift the veil on people's subconscious attitudes towards others. Upon publishing their landmark paper in 1998, the team described, and I kind of quote, a new tool that measures the unconscious roots of prejudice that they said affected 90 to 95% of people. End quoting from that article there's a huge amount actually revealed about the conceptualization of how the symptoms we're seeing in organizations comes about just from that short paragraph and just to share a couple of observations kind of immediately on this section I think the first thing that I felt when I was reading it was 90 to 95 percent of people only experience these implicit biases how can that possibly be if and I think this is a really really important if if we are to understand that the issues at play when we're thinking about you know so-called implicit bias or unconscious bias are in fact systemic who are the 10 to 5 percent of people that are able to extract themselves from the systems at play 
So the first thing I think that's kind of really important for us to grapple with is the function of the word unconscious or indeed implicit when we're considering the outcomes of inequities in our workplaces and society more broadly. Why is there this commitment and investment in the unconsciousness or the implicit nature of the biases? And really, I think it comes down to the fact that there's an unwillingness for people who benefit from existing systems of inequities to take responsibility for the outcomes of their actions. Framing their behaviour and decisions as unconscious or implicit kind of gets us all off the hook. This reluctance to take responsibility for the outcomes of our decisions and actions is even seen in the context of some of our deepest capacity building programmes where we will have spent extensive time with our senior leader participants engaging them in robust analysis about the root causes and the ways in which systems of oppression operate. And they will be deep and immersed in this rigorous analysis. And then we'll come to analysing an existing internal policy, for example, and have them engage with those very same principles that we've been working on so extensively and that they've really, really grasped, only for us to engage them in some explanatory analysis of the reason why a particular policy has been designed in a certain way for them to very quickly revert back to this idea of unconscious bias and they'll say oh the reason that we don't recruit at you know insert particular university for example that perhaps isn't considered to be ivy league or you know in the context of the uk and oxbridge the reason we don't hire there really is it's because of unconscious bias and you know as a facilitator and educator moments like this are sometimes moments of despair But I share this really to acknowledge how quick we are to turn back to familiar thinking habits and framing habits. And in this case, those that don't kind of anchor us back in responsibility taking. In the Fearless Futures paradigm, it's not unconscious that those decisions are made about where recruitment might happen, for example. These are the designed outcomes of systems of oppression that elevate and uplift certain groups of people who are seen as desirable and valuable at the expense of those that we have, that these systems have um, created the conditions for us to see as disposable, not valuable, and and therefore and not worth our time, energy or resource. Interestingly, I also think there's a second point to this, which is that by framing it as a kind of psychological phenomena rooted deep within the individual, there's some sort of expression that this is a biological phenomena and perhaps something that's so sort of innate to human beings that there's nothing we can really do about it. And I think those two dynamics combined are really, for us at Fearless Futures, the starting point for why this framing can be particularly dangerous to be wedded to and to use 
within company contexts. It's also really interesting and I think only possible because it locates this problem deep within the kind of psyche that there's even a view that it can in fact be tested. And I sort of, I've already kind of briefly touched on on the kind of bizarre idea to to me and and my colleagues at Fearless Futures that there are some five to ten percent of people that those who've created the test think um, can somehow be outside of these systems of inequity that are historical processes being played out in the present. That for me is an extraordinary idea that just doesn't add up frankly. But locating the issue within an individual, let alone the kind of measuring that we can perhaps put to one side, really misdiagnoses where inequity comes from, how it's produced and how it's maintained. And that is the kind of second key problem with the framing of unconscious bias being the reason why we have unequal outcomes, differential outcomes for different groups of people in our society en masse. In many ways, you could see unconscious bias being a sort of inside to outside um, direction of travel of the problem, whereas we would see the ways in which inequities play out as being outside and therefore systemic and enforced by structures within society such as laws, policies and institutions that create the conditions through which us as individuals engage with the world around us. And I'll go on and kind of touch on why this distinction makes a difference for the kind of solution making that we're able to do within our organisational contexts, which of course in theory, is the key to kind of build solutions that challenge and disrupt the perpetuation of inequity. The other dimension of this unconsciousness in terms of the framing within unconscious bias is, of course, that it invisibilises and erases and deletes, frankly, the very conscious nature of bias in workplace contexts. Again, this goes back to the kind of absolving people of any sense of responsibility that they have for their behaviour. And I think what's really interesting here is that, of course, people are very quick to take responsibility for positive things they might do in their organisational contexts. It's rare someone would say, oh no, that was an unconscious idea I had that made for a very profitable advertising campaign. No one would really claim that they had no responsibility over something that had a positive outcome. But in these particular outcomes that are negatively understood, there's a very quick distancing from one's agency um, in in these contexts. And I think that deleting or invisibilising the conscious nature of the ways in which inequity plays out is, of course, again very very dangerous because it means that we're unable to kind of pinpoint and get specific about what is in fact actually happening and it's in many ways uh, another distraction tool because it shifts 
the kind of location of responsibility and it shifts the burden of proof once more. Because if it's unconscious, there's nothing really we can hold anybody to account around when it comes to comes to the issue at play. Which of course is a really clever tactic if the goal is to kind of maintain the status quo while pretending that there's in fact some deep commitment to challenging the status quo. Now what's interesting here is that of course there are actually many other ways that we can articulate what is happening when inequity is being perpetuated. For example, we need not say, oh, that was my unconscious bias. We could say, I've perpetuated inequity here. We could say, I've perpetuated disabilism or anti-Semitism or cis-sexism or, or whatever it might be. That could be how we articulate what's going on, which would allow us to acknowledge the systemic nature of these issues and our individual responsibility in their continuance and maintenance. And so I think it's very canny that that isn't how we are trained to talk about what we are doing when we're having a negative impact that does in fact perpetuate these inequities. That most people would say, oh, it was totally unconscious or continually introduce the notion of the unconsciousness of their decision-making into the conversation. The other part of the of the term, of course, whether it's unconscious bias or implicit bias, is the word bias. Bias is really interesting as a word because for me, and I think many of my colleagues at Fearless Futures, we would see the term bias as, again, invisibilising or ignoring the role of power in generating and producing the outcomes in question. What do I mean by that? I mean that bias alone doesn't really reflect, once more, the overarching asymmetry between those who are subject to systems of inequity and those who benefit from them. So here's a question for you. If we remain using the word bias, what's the difference between having a bias against a football team, perhaps because they're the main competitor um, against your preferred football team that you have a bias towards. Okay, so we have a bias against a football team. What's the difference between that and bias against somebody who is trans or disabled or any other um, position subject to a system of oppression? Clearly, well, I say clearly, but it might not be clear for all, there is a distinction that these aren't equivalent biases and that's the problem with the term bias particularly when it's you know preceded by implicit or unconscious is it doesn't reflect the material outcomes that are produced by that particular bias so in the case of having a bias against a football team there isn't the structural enforcement of asymmetric power working against that football team that you might have 
a so-called bias towards. But when we're thinking about the case of somebody who's existing within a system of oppression, that bias is not equivalent to having a bias against a football team because the bias that's being experienced within the context of a system of oppression exists at the ideas level, so there are those negative ideas, and also at the structural level. Historical laws, policies, institutions that are playing out in the present that create material negative outcomes for the group en masse who have this bias against them. So the bias is of a different proportion, with a different history, with a different impact than a bias against a football team that an individual might have and where that bias remains at that individual level. This is why the term bias is ultimately insufficient in describing the phenomena that we're speaking to in the context of inclusion and equity work. And so bias in its kind of fluidity and and multidimensional usage lacks the specificity that's really important when we're kind of engaging in the analysis required when it comes to challenging inequity in our workplaces. It can kind of take us down the garden path and lose the necessary relevance that we require if we're focused on doing an inclusion and equity work, which we at Fearless Futures would say is very much in the domain of challenging oppression. Finally, and I think this is kind of relevant for a lot of the language that's that's traditionally used within kind of quote-unquote diversity and inclusion work, is that unconscious bias as the framing and conceptualisation for what's going on in our workplaces has another consequence, which is that it removes the urgency for change by using this kind of individualised, almost biologically innate phrasing, it misses the, the kind of the deep violence that's potentially occurring for some people in organisational contexts that are occurring every single day for them. And so we kind of sterilise the impact of what's happening for people when we use terminology like unconscious bias or implicit bias. And that, combined with all those other dynamics, really is um, something that I think harms the endeavours that are taking place within company contexts on this front. The kinds of solutions that we are likely to develop and come up with are very different depending on whether we understand something to be an individual psychological potentially biologically innate issue versus something that is produced by historical processes that involve both negative ideas and structures that target negatively particular groups on mass and the latter is a systemic analysis of inequity rather than one that's rooted in individual acts of harm, potentially, that are almost always interpersonal in nature, i.e., quote-unquote, slip of the tongues, um, or, or slurs that might pop out, for example, which I think is often how people 
kind of conceive of unconscious bias playing out in the workplace. Where we focus our resource and energy at a strategic and company level, if we think it's all about individuals versus the structures that are reproduced within our company context, so structures again being sort of policies and laws that create the conditions for certain behaviour and for particular outcomes that are going to be differential between groups. Where we focus our energy is going to be very different based on one analysis versus the other. And ultimately, we at Fearless Futures would say, unless you're operating at an analysis that accounts for the systemic nature of these issues, you will be pulling levers that will be ineffective in driving material outcomes that are going to be challenging oppression. And that's the kind of long and short of it. Of course, the interpersonal matters, and that's not to say that it doesn't, but it's also to recognise the root of these issues. And the root is not in our individual psyches. The root is external, it's societal, it's historical, that lives out in the present, and it's also structural. And without a focus on that, we will continue to go around and around and around in circles, sadly, without really giving people the educative tools for change that are required for them to be able to make the impact they wish, should that be something that they're committed to doing. Thank you for listening to the Fearless Futures podcast. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe, rate and share this episode with a friend. If you're interested in learning more about the work that we do at Fearless Futures, please visit our website, fearlessfutures.org. Till next time.
thank you for listening to the Fearless Futures podcast. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe, rate and share this episode with a friend. If you're interested in learning more about the work that we do at Fearless Futures, please visit our website, fearlessfutures.org. Till next time.